Never gets old, does it? Amazing grace, how sweet the sound. Terrific. I've always imagined John Newton, who wrote that song, Slave Ship Captain. Been up in heaven for a couple hundred years by our measures. And I can just imagine every day as he goes before Jesus. I don't know how it all works in heaven. I can just imagine he goes before him every day and says, Hey, Jesus. I wrote you a song. I want to sing it for you. And uh, some of the angels join in. Can you imagine what it's like up there? Amazing grace. Titus chapter 2. Second Sunday of Love Works. And we have some big things coming up over the next few weeks. I hope you'll be here not only for worship, but I hope you'll be available as the hands and feet of Jesus in our community. And we had... Uh, people out doing uh, works not only as individuals but as, as groups this week and doing some terrific things to show the love of Christ. I hope you'll look for opportunities to do little things that make a big difference in our community this week. Our reading is from Titus chapter 2 in the New Testament. And would you stand for the reading this morning if you're physically able to do that? And I'm going to read the entire chapter. It's only 15 verses long, so I won't keep you up too long. But I do want to read the whole thing for context this morning. But speak thou the things which become sound doctrine. In other words, don't talk just to talk. Um, Talk for a reason, he's telling Titus. That the aged man be sober, grave, temperate, sound in faith, in charity, in patience. Now, when he says the aged men here, um, Titus is thinking of people who are 35 and over. Titus is probably 18 or 19 years old when this letter is written to him. The aged women, likewise. Now, women start feeling old when they're 25. So this is a aged women here. Sorry, ladies, just being real here. That they be in behavior as becometh holiness, not false accusers, not given to much wine, teachers of good things, that they may teach the young women to be sober, to love their husbands, to love their children, to be discreet, chaste, keepers at home, good, obedient to their own husbands, that the word of God be not blasphemed. Young men, likewise, exhort to be sober-minded. In all things, showing thyself a pattern of good works, in doctrine, showing uncorruptness, gravity, sincerity, sound speech that cannot be condemned, that he that is of the contrary part may be ashamed, having no evil thing to say of you. Exhort servants to be obedient unto their own masters and to please them well in all things, not answering again, not purloining, but showing all good fidelity, that they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior in all things. That means that they would wear the doctrine of God on them. For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world, looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave Himself for us, that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto himself a peculiar people, zealous of good works. 
These things speak and exhort and rebuke with all authority. Let no man despise thee. Father, would you work this morning as we talk about how works become a pattern. I pray that we would understand that we are the adornment of Jesus Christ. We are the clothing that shows Jesus Christ here in this community and in all of our communications and all of our relationships. Pray that we'd honor you this week. We guide these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you very much. Appreciate that this morning. In a study carried out by the University College in London, 96 participants were asked to choose an everyday behavior that they wanted to turn into a habit. They all chose something that they didn't already do that could be repeated every day. Many were health-related items. Um, People chose things like eating a piece of fruit with lunch or running for 15 minutes after dinner. And each of the 84 days of the study, they logged into a website and reported whether or not they'd carried out the behavior, as well as how automatic the behavior had felt. And so here's the big question. How long did it take to form a habit? Because we've all heard numbers on that before. The simple answer is this. On average, across the participants who provided the data, it took 66 days until a habit was formed. Isn't that incredible? 66 days until a habit was formed. And contrary to what's commonly believed, missing a day or two didn't much affect habit formation. Unless they missed the first day or two. See, the earlier they did it, the more important it was in the study. Um, here, here's the average. For, for uh, those who tried it, it took 20 days to get into the habit of drinking a glass of water after breakfast. 20 days, right? Did, they didn't have that habit, they tried that. It took 40 days for the ones who tried to eat fruit with their lunch. Uh, the hardest habit to form was this little thing called exercise. And one of the participants was still trying to uh, make 50 sit-ups after morning coffee a habit at the end of 84 days. Now, I'm not sure uh, why in the study it wasn't put into the study, I don't think, but I'm fairly certain as a human being that the reason why he didn't do sit-ups after his coffee was because he had a bear claw with his coffee. Right? He, he had an eclair. He had something with the coffee. You don't just have coffee mid-morning. you got to have something with it, right? So here was the defining principle from the study. The earlier you repeated the action in the cycle, the more quickly the action became a habit. And, you know, it, we see this all the time in our own lives, and even in our spiritual lives. Sometimes we'll come to church And God gives us this idea through the Holy Spirit. Hey, you need this in your life this week. You should do this thing. And if we don't walk out and begin to practice it immediately, it's gone. Like we come back the next week and the Holy Spirit says, Hey, you remember that thing you're supposed to do? Oh, I forgot that. I'm going to get that done this week. And then we go out and forget again. And some of us have come back to church with the same next step in our lives Day after day, week after week, year after year. 
because we never actually take the next step. A lot of times we know what the next step's supposed to be. We just don't take it. And there's a struggle for us. Now, without getting too deep into the human brain, we can know this. The habits of our lives, whether they're good or bad, come from somewhere. All right, this is deep. They come from somewhere. You guys are so, like, intense here this morning. I think it's because the, the passage from this morning had the word sober, like, four times in it. Everybody's like, you know, the young men be sober, right? So, so everybody's... And some of you ladies are still mad at me because I said you're old. Uh, I want you to remember, I didn't say you're old. I said ladies think that they're old when they turn 25. Right? They notice this one white hair in their head and they begin to frantically... Well, let's get back to the message. But you guys stick with me here. Now, your habits come from somewhere. They, they may come from your parents or from your upbringing from your schooling, from a teacher you liked, or from your work environment, from cravings, from lusts in your body. And finding out the origin of a habit helps us to know where it leads. So asking yourself, why do I do this? Or better yet, why don't I do this? Now this is an age-old question. Paul asked this question or said this statement in Romans 7. He said, the things I want to do, I don't do them. And the things I want to quit, I can't quit. So he faced the same deal we face. Why do I, why don't I? Why do I have to drink coffee at the same time every day? Okay, that's a question, right? Now the answer is because you're addicted. Now I'm not addicted. I I drink it every time of the same day. Yeah, I don't even, I'm, I'm so addicted out of my mind on coffee that I don't even know what I'm saying. Um, and it's Eric's fault because he keeps building Dutch Brothers all over the place. Tell you what. But here, here's the question, why don't I ever exercise? Right, that's, that's the question that people ask. Why is it that I don't exercise? Well, I'll tell you why you don't. Because you don't get up off of your rear end and do it. That's why you don't do it. Okay, I mean, these are simple answers, but we should ask the question. Why is it normal for me to read the newspaper? Why is it abnormal for me to read the Bible? Why do I have no problem making sure that I get lunch for myself every day? Why am I not concerned that some people don't get lunch every day? So we want to deal this morning with habits, Because like it or not, our habits become a pattern. And a pattern, as we've just read from this passage, is something that others will follow. Look at verse 7 again. And let's get the biblical foundation. Look at what it says. In all things, showing thyself a pattern of good works. Everybody in here is a role model. There's a, a basketball player, crass um, basketball player years ago named Charles Barkley. And he's still around and he's still just as crass as he's ever been. But he made a famous statement. Here's what he said. I'm not a role model. That's what he, he said. He just kind of this, made this national proclamation. 
I'm not a role model. Here's the deal. Everybody's a role model. Everybody here is a role model. And you say, I'm not a role model. You are a role model, and I'm going to prove it to you this morning from God's Word. So that's our thesis statement, all right? You are a role model. Now let's work at proving it with the Scripture. Let's start by saying we are imitating godly experience. Imitating godly experience. This is the first step in having a pattern of God good works. Now my friend, Brother James Safran, who types my notes, has misspelled the word on the screen. And I just want everyone to know that I normally don't misspell words like this. And it, it's just a matter of pride, and I'm sorry that I have to state it, but I didn't misspell that word, right? There's my pride moment. Can we get back to the message now? God forgive me that I had to do that. Oh, my friend Brother James. Now he's gonna, here's what he's going to do later. He's going to come and tell me that I misspelled it on my notes. That's what he's going to do. He's going to come and tell me. I misspelled it on my notes. All right, I, I want to go back with you and see the instructions that we read at the start of the chapter. And just look at it because it's so comprehensive. Starting at verse number 2, again, the aged men. Okay, so be serious or sober. Be grave, temperate, sound in faith, and charity and patience. Um, the aged women we read about and some components of them. But look what it was for, verse number 4. That they may teach the young women. So there was a reason why they were displaying these good works. There was a reason for this pattern of good works. It wasn't just because works say something, which we saw last week. It wasn't just that they were part of the family of God and they had a light that should shine before men. There actually was a method that was used here to teach the next generation. Verse 6, it talks about young men and how they'll learn from the older men. Everybody has a responsibility in the pattern of good works. When you realize that another believer is on the right path, but maybe they're further along than you on that path, you should be ready to follow that person as that person follows Christ. Now, remember, you're following Christ, not just an individual. People fail. People let each other down. Jesus never fails. His words endure forever. Paul told the Corinthians, Be followers of me, even as I also am of Christ. The author of Hebrews says this in Hebrews 13, Whose faith follow, considering the end of their conversation. So look at the path someone's on, consider where that lifestyle leads, and determine if you should imitate those experiences. You can also see that if you're a seasoned Christian, you need to be aware that people trailing after you need a spiritual connection to follow. Go with me to the book of Philippians chapter 3, and we're going to spend some time throughout the message in this passage. Philippians 3. I love the book of Philippians. It's probably my favorite uh, book in the Bible. Just keep going back to it again and again and again. Philippians 3, and I want you to notice verse number 17. Brethren, be followers together of me, 
and mark them which walk so as ye have us for an example. So Paul says, listen, as I follow Christ, you follow me and look for other people who are doing the right thing and follow them. Verse 18. Anytime you see parentheses in the Bible, take note. Right now, the parentheses, they're not like in the original Greek and Hebrew. They're not on the sheepskins or lambskins or whatever they used. But it's, it's these thoughts that kind of popped out where the translators didn't know what to do with it. And so they put in parentheses. Look at this parentheses. For many walk, of whom I have told you often and now tell you even weeping, that they are the enemies of the cross of Christ, whose end is destruction. Now, Paul said, listen, I want you to follow people's faith who have a lifestyle that's pointed the right direction. Here's why direction is so important. Because direction determines destination. See, direction determines destination. Anywhere you've ever ended up, you know how you ended up there? Because you were headed that direction. See what I'm saying? And and what people do that's so illogical is they say, okay, I want to end up here. And then they go that way. Right? Five years from now in my life, I want to be right here. And then they go that way. Makes no sense. We do it all the time. Direction determines destination. And so we have to look around us. And we say, okay, what's going to be the end result of that path? And if you look at a person's path and you say, that's a path I'd like to be on. If you're 16 and you're looking at somebody who's 25... I mean, you want to be looking at somebody who's 25 who's not wasting their life, whose path is actually viable to look at. And and it it always sounds fun when you're 16 or 17 or 18 to make certain decisions in life. There's an allure and there's this fleshly experience and this carnal picture that, boy, you could have fun if you did this. But I want you kids who are at that age to go ahead and look at people on the path who are 24, 25, 26 who made those decisions and see where their life is today. And then look at people who made the right decisions at that age and see where they're at. Because here's what I've found so fascinating. When you're 13, 12, 13, 14, you know who the old people are? People who are 22, Right? If they're in college, they're old. Right? And then when you get toward the end of high school, who's old? The people who are married. Right? The people who are married are old. They're fogies. And then you begin to kind of process and go, and then you look at people, oh my goodness, she's a grandparent. Right? Here's where it gets really crazy. When she's a grandparent and you went to high school with her, like, whoa, what does that make me? Or better yet, at our house, when you have somebody who's 17 or almost 17, and you have somebody who's 10 months old. Like, whoa, what's happening here? So perspective changes over time on the path. So, you know, take that fixed point of somebody who's ahead of you on the path, who's doing the right thing, who's following the Lord, who's being faithful, and say, you know what? I could attach myself to that. I'm going to follow Jesus. I'm not going to follow that person lockstep. 
but imitate their experiences. Imitate their good works. Imitate their behavior. So he said, verse 19 again, whose end is destruction. Here's one of the weirdest phrases in all the Bible. Whose God is their belly. Right? Isn't that funny? It's not really funny. It's kind of serious. Whose God is their belly? What's the name of your God? Belly. You know what it really means? My God is me. The one I'm going to follow is me. What I want. My desires, my appetites, my lusts, that's what I'm going to follow. Whose God is their belly. Whose glory is in their shame. So that means they get excited about doing foolish things. You know who gets excited about doing foolish things? Fools. The Bible says fools make a mock at sin. Romans 1 explains how they begin to glory in things that are reprobate against God. And what a sad commentary on our modern culture that we have so many people who make a mock at destruction, who make a mock at sin, who make a mock at misery, whose glory is in their shame. Now look at this last phrase, who mind earthly things. So let's talk about next idolizing God's enemies. So not just imitating godly experience, but idolizing God's enemies. Paul reveals in this passage that there are some people that claim to be Christ followers, but in reality, they're enemies of the cross. And there's a tendency for us to think things like, well, I'm my own person. I'm not going to imitate anyone. All right? I'm not, not going to imitate anyone. I'm not a role model. I'm not following anyone. No one's following me. But everyone's an imitator. We all are. I'm going to prove it to you. How many of you in here can talk? Right? How many of you are sitting next, next to someone who didn't raise their hand and you know that it's true? Yeah, see what I'm saying? Do you know how you learn to talk? When you were less than a year old, you began to imitate the sounds around you. Isn't that fascinating? You're an imitator. Every person here is an imitator. Right? That's why your two-year-old said a cuss word. Not because she thought of it, because you said it first. Right? That's why your three-year-old um, quotes the Grover's commercial off of TV. Or whatever. I don't know if you quote the Grover's commercial. That one's still from like 1979. Have you seen it lately? They haven't changed it. Still the same old guy doing the same old thing. Apparently no one here knows about Grover's. Sorry I brought that one up. I keep getting myself into trouble because I try to communicate with the crowd and get feedback, and the feedback is dead. It's like, could we inject some life into you people? Um, when, when you're less than a year old, you began to imitate the sounds other people made. Now, how many of you have a, a driver's license? How many of you wish you had a driver's license? Yeah, that's what I'm thinking, all right? Now, you, I know there are some guys out there thinking, well, Pastor, I didn't imitate anybody. I learned to drive when I was 11 year, years old on the farm. 
Yeah? But even though you did that, you imitated somebody. Right? You had seen somebody get up on the tractor and move that big old wheel. You had seen somebody put it in gear and somebody learned how to pop a clutch and somebody learned how to do different things with vehicles. Why? Imitation. You imitated. And all of us self-made people are just imitators. If you have a hobby, if you can play a sport, if you can play an instrument, no matter what you do, you're an imitator. Right? Now, some of you are just plain old taters. But everybody's an imitator. And we sometimes take this imitation and we mess it up. We're, we're just imitators. The truth is, none of us are self-made or self-taught. And if we don't intentionally imitate godly experiences, we will subconsciously idolize God's enemies. Here's why. Culture is the easiest thing to imitate. It's the easiest thing to imitate. There is a broad way which leads to destruction. And many there be which go in thereat. Why? Because it's easy. It's easy just to retweet what somebody else tweeted. For those of you who are Twitterers or tweeters, or whatever it is. It's easy just to take what somebody else did and use it as your own, to imitate. And we have this low path that we somehow get to through our culture that's easy for us to imitate. I'll prove it to you again. Nobody knows like Now, the rest of you already knew that, but you were too afraid to sing it. Right? Now, let's, let's change world history here. Here we go. Nobody knows like... Ah, uh, you guys are weak. You're weak. I put myself out there on that, and you didn't come through for me. For Western home and family, the choice is... D and B. All right? Now, some of you just moved here. You're like, what in the world is going on? How about this one? How, how about this? No, it's not age. It's not age. Look at this one. Bruneal Tire Factory, we go. Whoa. Got some Bruneal fans in here. Uh, how do you people know this? You woke up one day and decided to deliberately learn local ad jingles, right? No, it just soaked in. And most of our habits are a result of cultural soaking into the sponge of our lives. Everyone is an imitator. Do you know why young people follow the culture? Because young people have always followed the culture. Oh, some of us older folks, we get upset about it. Oh, things have changed. Can't believe what young people are doing now. Well, you had a pet rock, too. Some of you are old enough to know what that means. You had a slinky, right? You know what I'm saying? You were a cabbage patch owner. You followed the culture. Why? Because it was the easiest thing to follow. Water goes to the lowest spot 
So does culture. And we follow it. Now, we don't realize at that time that we're idolizing God's enemies. And and sadly, the habits of so-called Christ followers are many times indistinguishable from the habits of the culture. They show people living on a path opposed to Jesus. So people are saying, yeah, I love Jesus, and I go to church, and I sing the songs, and how great is our God, and whoa, that's great. But the path of their lives shows that they idolize God's enemies. Remember from last week, works say something. We just read in Philippians 3, Paul plainly stated that these people mind earthly things. They idolize culture. They make human acceptance the norm. They seek what's popular. And all people who mind earthly things have something in common. Earthly things don't satisfy them. So they keep chasing them. Ecclesiastes says they chase the wind. Verse 19 reminds us whose end is destruction. Making good works into a lifestyle is a constant struggle. And one of the big areas that we face that is so detrimental is idolizing God's enemies unintentionally. But it happens. And so we keep going in this passage on Philippians 3, and I want to see this next part, inhabiting the eternal. Inhabiting the eternal. Look at verse number 20. For our conversation is in heaven, from whence also we look for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Now that word conversation, some people will say, well, that means lifestyle. Actually, when you look it up, it means citizenship. For our citizenship is in heaven. Those of us who are children of God, who've been born in the family of God, are strangers and pilgrims on the earth. We're just passing through. Nothing here is worth latching on to. And according to Scripture, our focus should be on Jesus Christ and our heavenly citizenship. Now, there's a secret here to keeping a lifestyle that models Christ. And here's what it is. If you remember that you're a citizen of heaven, it will change your perspective. If you remember you're a citizen of heaven, it's going to change your perspective. You travel around the world, it's going to change your perspective. But you know, one of the things that happens when you go to third world countries, whether it's Costa Rica or Ecuador, or you go over to Asia, to India, or to other places around the world, and you walk the streets and you see the things that are taking place, you know what one of your go-to thoughts is? Sure, I'm glad I'm an American. Now, you may not say it out loud, you may try to be polite, but when they hand you that bowl of chicken curry with bones all in it, and it's their prized possession and they're so excited they could give it to you, and you literally cannot even stomach one bite of it. Just ask Cody, my son, about this. You know, one of the things you think is, sure, I'm glad I'm an American. You know, there's a deal about being an American. Used to be, much more than today, 
a matter of national pride. There used to be something about standing at attention when the flag walked by. And taking your hat off for the national anthem, unless you're a serviceman. And respecting what people had done to secure our freedom by their own blood. There was something about that. And to say, I am a citizen of the United States of America. But lately, we have a generation, and some of it's from our politics and our politicians, who say, boy, we can't say we're proud to be Americans. We can't say that America is the best place on earth. That would be elitist to say that. Now, most of the people who say that are elitists. You know, I like to be around common, average, everyday Joes who still salute the flag, who still love to hear old Lee Greenwood saying, I'm proud to be an American at the top of his lungs. I like that. But you know what I also like? I like to be around people who remember they're citizens of heaven. They're citizens of heaven. This is just temporary. We're citizens of heaven. And sometimes when things happen, like I said, when you're traveling in another country, you say, oh, I'm glad I'm a citizen of America. I can go back there. I want you to take this perspective into your week. And when something comes up that you didn't expect or you didn't like and you're having a Jonah day, here's what you should be able to say every single time. Sure am glad I'm a citizen of heaven. Sure am glad I don't have to stay here any longer than this body stays. I get to go to be with the Lord. You say, Pastor, that's not what this passage means. Oh, really, theologian? Look at verse 21. I think I'm reading between the lines. Look at verse 21. Who shall change our vile body that it may be fashioned like unto his glorious body? According to the working whereby he is able even to subdue all things unto himself. See, right now we've got earthly bodies with earthly cravings. But if you're a child of God, you have the heavenly spirit inside you. You have a spirit that is born into the family of God. You have a soul that's adopted into the family of God. Someday... We'll be like Christ. He's going to change our vile bodies. Inhabiting the eternal. Nothing here is worth latching on to. The actions that you do as a citizen of heaven form the pattern of good works that Paul spoke to Titus about. And so habits related to this earth do nothing to advance the kingdom of God. In fact, many of those habits show people to be enemies of the cross. But you know, habits that inhabit the eternal are life-changing. Not only to you, but to those around you. You remember what Jesus said to his disciples and future disciples in John 14? Actually, turn over there. I want to show you this. You have to see this one. Look at John 14. Now, this is a famous passage where Jesus announced to them about many mansions and some things about heaven. But I want you to look a little further down in this passage. There is a statement in here that is so profound. If, if you don't take anything else with you today, I hope you'll take this statement. It's, it's huge. 
groundbreaking. John 14, verse number 12. Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that believeth on me, now look at this next phrase, the works that I do shall he do also. Did you catch that? Jesus said, if you're a believer in him, the works that he did, you'll do. You will be his hands and feet on this earth. And greater works than these shall he do. Because I go unto my Father. The works that I do shall he do also. That's powerful. The pattern of my works says something. The pattern of your works says something. And it, here's the question as we kind of finish up at this last point. What does it say? Oh, what is it that our lives are saying about who our Savior is? Are we completing John 14, 12? And so let's talk last about investing through example. Investing through example. And to do this, I want to go back to Philippians 3 and the passage that we were seeing there. Philippians 3. We talked about how Paul exhorted the Philippians to follow together with him and follow what he was doing. But we're going to go into the next chapter now, Philippians 4. And, and remember, this is all part of the same letter. As you may know, when the epistle was written, there were no chapters and verses. And so we go down a little further in his letter, and we look at where we're at in Philippians 4, verse number 9. Let's check this out. Philippians 4, 9. Those things which ye have both learned and received and heard had seen in me do. And the God of peace shall be with you. So those things which ye have both learned and received and heard and seen in me do. That's a huge word. Two-letter word right in there. Do it. Get this thing done. And uh, you, you see these four verbs? You may want to underline these because... You're such a good Bible study here. Those things which you have both, here they are, learned, received, heard, seen. And then there's a prepositional phrase that puts it all together. Those things which you have learned, heard, received, seen, all the four there, look at what it said after that, in me. Where did they see it? They saw it in him. They saw it in him. These were some of the most devout Christians on the face of the earth. They didn't have one of these. They didn't have one of these. They had a letter from a guy named Paul. That's what they had. And yet they had seen what they needed to see to serve God. What do people learn from looking at you? There's an old quote, and I tried to trace it this week to find out who the original author is, and it goes way back into the 1800s. And Nobody knew who the original author was. You've probably heard it before. Here's what it is. Your life may be the only Bible that some person might ever read. Remember that one? You've heard it before. Still true. Your life 
might be the only Bible that some person might ever read. Do you know you have people at your workplace who have never once read any part of the Bible? Not once. But they've heard you talk. They've seen you. Sometimes they know you go to church. They know you claim to be a Christian. What do people learn from looking at you? What message do people around you receive from the pattern of works that you display? Is it the message that you're all about yourself? That you're a prima donna? That you're dishonest? That you're vulgar? You're the first one to slack off when the supervisor isn't on site? The people around you are receiving some kind of feedback from you. Your kids are receiving feedback from your life. And I I just have to ask it this way. Is your lifestyle what you want their lifestyle to be? Or are you one of those do as I say, not as I do type people? There's a pattern of good works. And Paul was saying, look people of Philippi, you're safe in following my example. I'm guarding my example. I'm investing through my example for you. What are people hearing from you? Are they hearing that you're thankful to God for everything? Or that you're a complainer, a gossip, a critic, an opinion maker? Paul said, what you've heard from me is worth repeating. And I know there are people today out there, Pastor, wait just a second. I could never be like Paul. I could never be an example like that. Well, you might not realize this, but Paul called himself the chiefest of sinners. That's what he said about himself. I am the chiefest of sinners. I already told you from Romans 7, he said, there's things that I want to do, I don't do them. There's things that I want to quit, I don't quit them. I struggle with following Jesus. But you know, he determined to make an investment for the kingdom of God through his example. Those things that you have both learned and received and heard and seen in me do. And the God of peace shall be with you. No matter who you are, someone's following your path. It could be another person your own age. Maybe somebody a few years behind you. That's normally how it works. If you're in eighth grade, there's a second grader who thinks you're the salt of the earth. You know, if you're 17, there's a 12-year-old who wants to grow up to be just like you because they think you're grown up. Right? How delusional. If, If you're 18... You're usually looking at somebody who's 23, 24 years old. Whoa, I want to be, grow up to be just like them. The Olympics is going, and I always love it when our, we have American Olympians who are 15, 16, 17 years old, and they do the interview with them after they win the medal. And uh, one of the girls, it's so sweet, is 15, 16 years old, a couple years ago. Here's what she said at the Summer Olympics. She said, for my whole life, I've wanted to grow up to do this. Like your whole life, blink. But you know, everybody has dreams. Everybody has goals. Everybody looks at somebody ahead on the path and says, that's what I want my life to be. A lot of times, they follow a different path. 
So they see the right path. They know the right path. They've got people on the path ahead of them they could follow. And then they choose a different path. And the path is so huge because it leads to the destination. Somebody's behind you on the path. Could be one of your kids. Could even be an anonymous seeker who you don't even know. They're just watching you. What will people learn, receive, hear, and see in you? Works become a pattern. Your works are a pattern for someone. Do they lead to Christ? Or is the pattern you're putting out actually an enemy of the cross? These are such big questions. As we deal with love works this month, I hope you'll make commitments that last for a lifetime. Would you bow with me in prayer today? Here's what I'd like to do in the commitment prayer. Let me just tell you this before I pray. If you're here without Jesus Christ, if you don't know that you would spend eternity with Jesus, I hope that you'll take my hand after the service and allow me to hook you up with one of our counselors who can show you from the Word of God how you can know you're a believer in Jesus Christ. Christian, as I make the commitment prayer today, I'm going to ask you to pray. In your own heart, there before God, be serious, be sober about it. It's a word we've used. And would you say to God in your heart as we pray it out loud, God, help me to be a pattern of good works. Help me to be a pattern of good works. If there's a habit, you know, that's hurting your, your pattern, your example, would you be willing to talk to God about it today? If there's something you need in your life, Jesus, we thank you that we can be here in this place. We thank you for our working in our lives. And I pray today that we would all strive to be what you've made us to be what you've purposed us to be, what you've fashioned us to be, a pattern of good works through Jesus Christ. Whatever it is that's setting us back from doing that, I pray that we would offer it to you, that we'd submit it to your throne, that we'd let your Spirit work in our lives. I pray that as we talk about the projects for Love Works this week, that you'd give us willingness, that you'd give us availability, to do what you've made us to do. Guide us, and we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's look at our Love Works project.